Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Hey, hey, hey. How are you, New Beginnings? Come on, it's so good to be with you. And uh, I mean, we just had a time at that women's event. Ladies, did we have a time or what? I think there might be some women still over there shopping. I don't know if they got them out. They were just having a ball and it was so beautiful. I mean, it was just first class, wasn't it, ladies? First class, you should be so proud of your church for putting on an event that people would just be just jaw dropped over. And, uh, and it was just beautiful and packed out and, and the Lord really ministered to us. It was such a good time, but it is so good to be with you. I'm so looking forward to our time together. And, uh, and I just believe that God has a word in due season for you, amen? And uh, I want to thank um, your pastors, Pastor Joe and Barbara. I actually, we were at a Bible school at the same time, and uh, it was so good to see some other Italians in Oklahoma <laughs> so that we could all lament about, you know, the no good food anywhere to be found. And uh, it was just so great, but it's just, just a joy to be here and so glorious to see what God is doing in New Jersey. Come on. The kingdom is exploding in New Jersey. Praise the Lord. And uh, boy, it's a great time to be part of it, isn't it? Man, I don't know about you, but it's something about being a part of the body of Christ. I don't know that there's ever a good time, but this is no time to be a church skipper because you might miss something. I mean, you just don't want to miss anything. And, uh, and I certainly feel, feel that way. And so, uh, but I'm just excited for our time together and what God has for us. So uh, would you just join me in prayer? And uh, we're going to pray over the word and then just get right in to what heaven has for us in the room. Amen. Well, Father, we just thank you so much for this time that we have together. Father, I ask you that you would speak through my mouth. And Father, that you would think through my thoughts. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and do what only you can do in us and through us. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear what you are saying to us and to New Beginnings Church by your Spirit. And Father, we just pray that the Holy Spirit would invade the privacy of our heart. And Lord, we pray and we say that we give you permission as Lord of our lives that if necessary, rearrange the landscape of our lives to move us into position now for all that you have for us for this time that we are now in. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' wonderful name, and everybody said, amen. amen, amen. Aren't you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Well, if you brought your Bibles, uh, if you would open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and um, we're going to take a look at verse 12, and as you're turning there, 
I just want to make this statement, and I think it'll be one that you'll find it easy to agree with, and that is this, that God is always taking you and I somewhere. Amen? I mean, think about it. Aren't you thankful that God is never going to reach a point in your life where he's going to go, you know what? That's good enough. We're just going to leave you right there. Right? Like Jesus the Son is never going to look at God the Father and say, you know, it took so much work to get them to this point. At least they're saved. You know, at least they're not doing anything horrible. I don't know how much farther they can go. Why don't we just leave them at this point until the end of their life? No, heaven is never going to resign itself to settle for anything than the full plan of God for your life. And, and God has so highly invested himself in your success that he sent his son Jesus to be the author and the finisher of your faith. So he issued this divine invitation to say, no matter what season you're in, no matter what's going on in your life right now, I already began a good work in you. And if you will look to me, if you will trust me, if you will follow me, I commit myself to be the finisher. In other words, he's saying to get you over the finish line. Isn't that awesome? So, so God, and, and we should know that God is always taking us somewhere because of what he said in his word. And what he said was, I am always going to be taking you from strength, come on, to strength, from faith to faith, from glory to glory. So you could look at it this way, and and we should and understand, God's always taking you from one place of strength to a new place of strength, from one place of faith, and then all of a sudden he goes, okay, now come on, you can't stay here. We're going to a new place of faith. He'll take you from one place of glory. What is his glory? His manifested presence, presence, his goodness. And he'll say, now you've been enjoying your life in me here in this place of glory, and this is good, but all right, come on. You can't stay here because I'm taking you to a new place of my glory. So there is this perpetual work of destiny that God is doing in our lives, and he's always going to be pushing us onward as long as we have breath in our body. Come on, there is no term limit on what God's doing in your life. Hello. There's no age limit. Uh, there's, it's not a gender exclusive or gender inclusive. It doesn't matter what walk of life you've come from. In fact, God said, you know, before you were even in your mother's womb, I knew you. So we understand it doesn't even matter our parents necessarily we came from because we just came through our parents. We didn't come from our parents. You came from an idea in the mind of God. When he said, I'm going to need them at this time to fulfill this piece of my plan. And so I'm going to create him. I'm going to create her to fit this piece of my plan. And he did all that before you were even in your mother's womb. Isn't that awesome? 
So we could all kind of look at each other and say, we, we were just one of God's best ideas, you know, uh, and, and he just set this up. So what I want to talk to you about tonight, now that we sort of understand this place we're in, I want to talk to you tonight about something called a turning point. And a turning point is, it's a phrase, it's a term that can be used in a lot of parts of our culture. I want to talk about what it means. I want to talk about the turning point that you're at right now. And I want to talk to you, maybe most importantly, about how to make the turn. So what is a turning point? Well, it's defined in many ways, but I'm going to give you three definitions of what the phrase turning point means. And I think you're going to get excited about this by the time we're done. The first definition of a turning point simply means this, the point when a significant change occurs. Now, how many of you could say right there, boy, I'm ready for a significant change to occur. That'd be just fine with me. That, sound, that sounds pretty good for most of us, right? So it's a, it's a point when a significant, not, not just any old change, right? A significant change. That's a turning point. The second definition that I want to give you for what is a turning point is this. A turning point, and I love this, is when the action begins to move toward the most important part. Now, let me give you a picture for this. Have you ever maybe gone to see a new movie that came out, and maybe the next day you run into some friends or some coworkers, and you say, oh, you got to go see this movie. It's so good. And they say, really? And, and maybe sometimes you have to tell them, now, hang in there, because it's a little slow in the beginning right? But then what do we say? We'll say, but then it hits this point where, oh, it just kicks in and it, it just gets so good. A turning point is the point in which a significant change occurs, but it's also when the action begins to move toward the most important part. Now, why are we talking about this? Well, I want to share a story with you out of my own experience. And I'll be honest with you all, it was probably one of the more significant encounters with the Lord that I've had in my life. And it happened in November of 2017. And so I was actually in the state of Florida. I had flown in on a Saturday and uh, I was there to minister at a church that next morning. And so I had gone out to dinner with the pastors that night. They brought me back to the hotel. And so I was getting unpacked and getting everything, you know, set up. And, and uh, so I set my alarm to get up that next morning for the services. Now, on a side note, I will just say this. I cannot prove it scientifically, but I am convinced that there are less hours for sleeping on Saturday nights than any other night. I can't prove it, but someday, you mark my words, a report is going to come out and you're all going to say, that Jen Tringale called it. She, she just knew. It just seems like sleeping goes so fast on Saturday nights. So I had set my alarm for 6.30 that next morning, set it on my phone, went to sleep. Well, that alarm went off, you know, and I thought, man, that was a fast sleep. And so I, I turned the alarm off, got up, and uh, I went over into the kitchen area there to make some coffee. And so I glanced up at the clock on the microwave, and when I looked at it, it said 4.02. 
I thought, well, that's weird. You know, I don't remember that clock being wrong last night. And uh, so then I glanced outside and uh, it was pitch dark outside. And I thought, what is going on? And so I went back into the bedroom and I picked up my cell phone and it said uh, 406 or something like that. I thought, I cannot believe it. I accidentally set my alarm on my phone for 4 a.m. and here I could be asleep right now. It is not God's will for my life that I be awake. Do you understand? At 4 a.m. So I go into the alarm settings on my phone and um, I open them up and the thing about it is there was no alarm set for 4 a.m. and my alarm for 6.30 was still set. And I stood there and I just went, what, what's going on? And immediately the presence of God came into my hotel room and just filled it. And so I, I just stood there in that wonderful presence and I said, Lord, what is it? And the word of the Lord came to my heart, just to my spirit. And I, and I, I felt like I heard him say, now this was November of 2017. And I felt like I, I heard the, the word of the Lord in my heart. And he said, now concerning 2018, he said 2018 will be the year of the turning point. 2018 will be the year when the action begins to move toward the most important part. And then he said, and in your progression will lie your provision. In other words, we can say, this is the year for making the turn. And it's imperative that we follow him, isn't it? But we have to understand that we must follow him because our provision, what God is providing for our lives, how he is stepping in to be our provider, God only pays for his plan. Your provision lies in your progression, in your following him from strength to strength, from faith to faith, and from glory to glory. Sometimes we look around and go, God, where are you? God, I thought you're El Shaddai, the God that's more than enough. God, I thought you said you'd meet all my needs according to your riches and glory. Where are you? And he said, I'm still waiting for you to follow that directive that I gave you three months ago because the provision that I've planned for you is in your progression. Hallelujah. Boy, some of us, we just got a lot of questions answered. Some of us, you know, we kind of need to go back and pull out some of those notes and prayer journals and go, oh my word, Lord, what, what, tell me again. Tell me again what it was you wanted me to do because I'm, I'm ready to make the turn. I don't know about you, but I don't much care for my version of my life. I much prefer his, don't you? And I, and I don't really much prefer just the provision that I can produce. I much prefer for the provision that comes from heaven where I'm looking around and other people are looking at me going, how did this happen to you? And I just go, hallelujah. So let's look at this here. 
So I, I, I felt that word so strong in my heart. This is the year of the turning point. You know, it's interesting because we're, we're kind of coming into this last, this last quarter, this last section of 2018. And I've been feeling this thing churning over the last week in me, over this year of the turning point, this year when significant change occurs, this year when the action begins to move toward the most important part. And this thing I feel churning in me is this. The Spirit of God is going, follow me, be quick to follow me because I'm wrapping things up to get you into position. Boy, this is a good time to be quick to hear and quick to obey. Amen? So the last and final definition for turning point that we'll look at is this. The term turning point is a very old term, and it's actually a nautical term. And it is used to describe a ship along its tack course. And along a ship's tack course, along the navigation it's following to reach its destination, it has to make its turn in the turning point section of that tack course. And if the ship doesn't make the turn at its turning point, it actually doubles the amount of time that it takes that ship to reach its destination and prolongs the journey. Boy, isn't it interesting? You just sense the Spirit of God going, listen, I need you to grab onto my word where I said, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things I have prepared for him, but I am revealing them. By, by my spirit. By your problem-solving skills? No. By, by my spirit. I, I'm revealing them. By, by laying, laying awake at night, just fretting and having anxiety over how this is going to happen? No. He didn't say you do it that way, did he? No. He said, by my spirit. So I want to just look at this, if we could for a moment, how do we then make sure that we're making the turn? How can you ensure that you are making the turn to follow God into the new things that he has for you? And then also, how can you make sure that you're making the turn as God is wrapping things up and positioning you for what comes next? How can we do this? Well, we could say this and just say, well, we just all need to just follow the Spirit of God. And that's true, but I believe that there's some more strategic things that God would give us to do to help us make the turn. And I want to read this verse here. I know that you thought I forgot. But I want you to look here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 12, and listen to what, uh, let's start in verse 11. Let's listen to what Paul said here. He said, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Boy, that's good news right there, isn't it? I mean, some of us just need to remind ourselves what the word says as the enemy's been trying to beat you over the head with all the terrible ways you missed it and all the ways you didn't come through. And we just need to hold the enemy's head down to what the word says and say, hey, uh, devil, before you try and condemn me anymore, on my worst day, God still sees the best of me. 
and, and just hold his head and say, because uh, do you see what he said there about me? He said, I'm washed. He said, I'm sanctified. He said, I'm justified, not by my perfection, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So nah, 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 nah. Do we say that in Jersey? Okay. Look at, look at verse 12. God's going to give us some strategy for making the turn. He says, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You see, there is a thinking process, or we could say a choice of thinking process that, that we can do life from. And everybody's got a process. Sort of the base foundation process, thinking process for how you're going to do life. How are you going to finish 2018? What is the next year going to look like for you? That base thinking process sounds something like this. What can I do? What can't I do? Right? What can I do? What can I do? It's like Paul said, there are some things that are, are lawful for me and there are some things that are not lawful for me. And that's sort of a, a basic place. In fact, it kind of sounds like the verbiage of kids, doesn't it? Any of you have any kids that, that your kids, whatever the line is you draw, they will come right up to the line. And you, you have to say, it, you know, they'll say, uh, mom, dad, can I have some Oreos? Yeah. Well, can I have five Oreos? No, you can. Can I have four and a half Oreos? No, you cannot. You can have a couple. What about three and a bite of the fourth, and I'll eat the rest later? I mean, they will push right up. Why? Because the base level of process of life, the base level, is what can I do, what can't I do? What are the rules here? Right and wrong. Well, that's a noble place to start. I mean, at least it's a moral place to start. If you're asking what can't I do, at least you know what is morally right matters to you. But then there's a second level that kind of raises up to a higher place of life, a higher thinking process, and this goes above what can I do, what can I do, and this one sounds a lot like what should I do, what shouldn't I do. And this is good. In fact, it's more than good. It's, it's noble. It's, it's honorable. What should I do? What's the right and noble thing to do? What should I do and what shouldn't I do reaches above the morality issues of life, and it begins to touch on what we call the ethics of life. What should I do? What, what should I do as a, a husband, a wife? What should I do as a father, as a mother? Maybe, and usually what you should do isn't what's most comfortable to your flesh. But you do it anyway. Why? Because it's, it's the right thing to do. Um, we honor people who do things that they just did it out of, not because they had to, because they took it upon themselves to feel a place of responsibility that said, I should do this. I, I happen to know my neighbor you know, lost his job. What I should do is I should make them a meal and help them out. I don't have to. It's not right or wrong, but I, I should do it. Boy, if we could just get most of society living at this level, 
we would see a big change, wouldn't we? What should I do, what shouldn't I do? But there's a, there's a higher level than even this honorable, noble thinking process of should or shouldn't. And it's this level where the strategy for making the turn comes from. And this goes above what can I do, what can I do. It reaches even over the nobility of what should I do and what shouldn't I do. And this thinking process sounds something like this. What am I made to do? And what am I not made to do? And the only way that you live out of that highest level of thinking process of what am I made to do, what am I not made to do, is number one, destiny, God's destiny for your life has to matter to you. And number two, you have to be willing to confront the issues in your life and ask yourself the question, what do I value most? You see, there's a lot of people, even believers, that believe God has a good plan for them. They believe what Jeremiah says, you know. I have plans to prosper you. I have plans to give you a successful end. And they believe that, but they never live that. They believe it, but they never experience it. The plan of God never shifts or transfers out of being just his plan to the reality they're living in. And usually it's lost in this question we're at right here. What do I value most? Because if you're going to live a life of destiny, and certainly if you're going to make the turn to a place where the action begins to move toward the most important part, you are going to be faced with asking yourself the question, what do I value most in life? Sometimes it's more obvious If you, for instance, uh, are driving a car and your phone dings and someone sends you a text message and is waiting for an answer, then you have to decide in that moment, what do I value most? Driving this car and staying alive or answering this text message. In this moment, you and I have to ask, what is most valuable here. And the truth is a lot of people don't want to ask this question because when we come to the answer of what's most valuable, it's going to require us tapping into the deeper reservoirs of our patience, of our faith, of our trust in God. It's probably going to rearrange the landscape of our life and the things that we used to do, we can't do anymore because now we're asking, what am I made to do? And even though this might be easy and comfortable for me over here, this only exists on the can and can't, should or shouldn't. But if I'm gonna transition over to what am I made to do, I'm going to have to look at What do I value most in this life? Because maybe what is lawful for me is not what is most expedient for fulfilling my divine destiny. This is the line in the sand from people that believe God has a destiny for their life and people that are fulfilling 
God's destiny for their life. Because church, it's going to cost you something. It's going to require things of you that your flesh is not gonna wanna do. It's going to require you tapping into the deepest reservoirs of your faith and patience and endurance. But can I ask you a question? What are you going to do when you stand before Jesus at the end of the life? Do you really wanna stand before him at the end of your life with the deeper reservoirs of your faith intact having never been tapped into, utilized, or used? I don't want to arrive at the end of my life and stand in heaven with the deepest things that God put in me having never been tapped into in my life because it was uncomfortable to my flesh. What do we value most is the strategy for making the turn. Spirit of God brings us to a place and he says, I need to to reevaluate what you value if you're going to follow me into this place. There's some things maybe are good, but it's no longer the things that you can now have your hands to, and God says you're gonna have to set them aside and let them go. Praise the Lord. Sometimes it means you have to confront this place that we can resign ourselves to live in It's what I call a false place of peace. And it's false because it's not real peace. It's just comfortable to our flesh. Have you ever had somebody, you know, maybe say, hey, would you like to, um, we'd really love to have you come get involved in this. Or maybe, you know, the Lord just kind of starts moving on you. Maybe to get involved in a way you've never gotten involved before here at church. Maybe even give something you've never given before. Stretch out of your comfort zone. And, and maybe somebody offers this opportunity to you or it's just coming up in your heart. And we tell ourselves, you know, I just don't have a peace about that. And boy, we make it sound real spiritual, don't we? Oh, I'd love to, but you know, I just, I don't have a peace, I just don't have a peace about that. That's not the peace from heaven. It's just uncomfortable to our flesh and we don't want to do it. But if we're going to make the turn, we got to ask, what do we value most? If I want to move into a higher place of living going, what am I made for what was the idea that God had when he said, we need a Jen Tringale? What was that idea? What was that idea that's going to take all the faith, trust, and endurance that I've got to step on into where I'll see the God do the greatest things with me he could ever do? What is that? Because whatever place of false peace I have to confront, God, let's do it. You know why? Because Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. And yet there was almost chaos everywhere he went. Did you ever notice that? Here his name is Prince of Peace. And yet everywhere he went, he he upset the natural same old, same old status quo of things. You know why? Because he would get in people's faces and in one way, shape, or form or another, he would ask the question, what do you value most? That's why all the leaders of the day, the synagogue leaders couldn't stand him because he got in their business because they valued things the most that shouldn't value the most. 
What do we value the most? I want to give you this story as we're closing. Uh, it, it was an interesting story that happened out in uh, Arizona. And uh, there was a, an older man that uh, was retired, and he was reaching sort of the last years of his life, and he was getting ready to move into a nursing home. And so this neighbor of his um, had come over and he said, you know, I know you're, you're moving, you're having to get rid of your stuff, and I'm just going to come over uh, on this Saturday and, uh, and help you clean things out and help you clean out your garage. He said, oh, well, I sure appreciate that. And so this neighbor of his is out there in his garage cleaning, and he had this old car out there and all this old stuff that he'd collected through a lifetime. And so as this guy was cleaning things out, he saw all these, these pictures and old, just dusty, junky artwork and stuff out there. And he saw all these um, things wrapped up. And so he picked up this one, he took the rubber band off, and he unwrapped it. And uh, he looked at it, and it was a, a perfectly intact, full-size poster of uh, the NBA player Kobe Bryant, and it was autographed. And he looked at this, and he thought, this is probably worth a lot of money. And uh, so he brought it in to um, this man, and he said, oh, yeah. He said, I, I forgot I had that. My uh, son worked for the Lakers, you know. And so I got, and he said, this is worth a lot of money. He said, well, let's find out. So they, they called this um, collector's uh, dealer, and uh, he came out to the house, and he said, Sh don't touch it. Just show me where you found it. And so they take him out to this garage, you know, and so they said, Here, it's laying there on the table. That's right where I found it. And so he, he sees it there, and then he sees behind it all these dusty old pictures and frames and all this dusty artwork. And he went right past that signed Kobe Bryant poster that they were just so sure was worth so much. And he had his eyes locked on one painting. And he said, sir, is this yours? And he said, yeah. He said, uh, where'd you get that? He said, well, a, a friend of mine gave it to me years ago, right before they passed away, and it just kind of wasn't my style of, of painting, so I just stuck it out here in the garage. He said, oh. He said, well, he said, there's a very famous artist by the name of Jackson Pollock that painted that, and I can't tell you for sure, but... Um, I'd say it's worth about $10 million. And uh, so the, the guy, the neighbor that came over to help him turned to this old man and he said, you owe me, I found this. <laughs> and so that art, that art collector looked at him and said, no, he doesn't. Because you, you never bothered to look past the obvious to see what was the most valuable. And you know, the, I just have felt this sense. It's really a beautiful thing that the Lord is doing in the earth right now. I feel like in his goodness, he's drawing in and visiting us. And he's saying, in, in all the busyness and the chaos of life, would you just come back to me, your source, and remember again what is most valuable. Is showing up everywhere, everybody wants you to show up most valuable? Or is 
letting the Lord direct the steps of the righteous most valuable. I'm so thankful that we live in a day and a time where we have so many resources available to us, you know? We can read good books that will help us grow in our relationship with God. We can read good books on anything out there. We can watch live streams of of services and watch YouTube videos, all kinds of resource. But I feel we're living in a time where God is saying, what is most valuable, resource or the source? Recently, I was asking God a, a question and, and I was holding up to him some things that he had on my heart for this next year. And I said, Lord, how do you want me to, to get into that? How do you want me, if this is a turning point year, how do we make the turn and really come into the fullness? How, how, how? In just a moment, I saw a picture on the inside of my heart and it was me when I was a 10-year-old girl And we lived in a big old house when I was 10. And I would go up on the third story attic of this old house. It was just old dusty furniture up there. And I would go up there with the bath mat out of our bathroom. This old gross yellow bath mat. And I would lay it in the middle of the floor. And I would kneel down. And that's where I learned how to have a relationship with Jesus. And I would kneel on that bath mat. And I grew up in church. I was a church kid. And so I thought, okay, how does this thing work? How how do you connect with God when there's no worship team? There's no church around you. It's just you. Is this real? How does this really work? And I remember kneeling on that bath mat in the middle of that attic floor. And I thought, well, when I'm at church, there's this one song that we would sing. It was kind of an old school song then. But every time we would sing it, man, it would just, I would just so feel the presence of God. And it was that song, I love you, Lord. Remember that? And I lift my voice to worship you. And I thought, well, I'll sing that song. So I sang it to the Lord, my little 10-year-old voice all by myself. And I got to the end of it and I checked and I thought, I don't feel anything. I thought, great. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, just still small voice in my heart. He said, Jen, sing it again, but this time, don't think about you and what you're feeling or not, just think about me. I thought, oh, okay. And so I I just lifted my little 10-year-old voice, and I sang it again, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my king, in what you hear. And let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. And when I got done, I realized that the peace of God had come in that attic. And when I asked God, Lord, how do we make the turn? How do we come into the fullness? That was the picture he gave me. And he said, Jen, just go back to what's most valuable and stay there. Go back to my presence. Go back to time with me. Go back to putting everything out in front of me of what you're doing and letting me tell you what's valuable and what's not anymore. And you'll find that if you will do that, you will be walking in the benefits 
of what you were made to do. And you will make the turn into the fullness of everything God has planned for us for this time. Amen. Can I pray over you? Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. Lord, we just open our heart to you and we say, Father, that we desire, Lord, the fullness of your plan. And Father, that thing that you made us for. We ask you, God, that the destiny seeds that you put on the inside of us, Father, that they would come into an accelerated place of growth. We ask you, Father, that in this turning point year, Father, that you would open our eyes to see and ears to hear what we need to see, what we need to know, that we would hit every mark, that we would hit every divine appointment, and, Father, that we would be walking in your glory as you take us from strength to strength, from faith to faith, and from glory to glory. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.